the word of God. Um, oh, also a reminder, prayer request uh, can go on the boxes by the doors over there. We love to partner with prayer, offerings, and tithes. This is your home church and all those things by the doors. And there's a box out there in the foyer. Well, the last three weeks, we've been uh, here in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians. The Lord willing, we'll, we'll be in here this morning and then next week as well. And we're kind of calling these first five weeks in this epistle the call to. And we, we, on Resurrection Sunday, we looked at the Apostle Paul and his, his call to salvation, his call to be an apostle, and then his call to obedience. And so all that hinged around the gospel of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so forth. And as we started into the epistle, you know, I just saw this pattern here of, of just certain areas that God has called us to be aware of and to walk in as Christians who have been called to walk in that same, same obedience that Paul was called to walk in as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so a few weeks back, we looked at the call to grow in grace. Then we looked the next week at the call to grow in faith. Last week, we saw the call to endure and abound in persecutions and in tribulation. And we're reminded that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And persecution for his name versus just persecution for persecution's sake and so forth. This morning, we are going to really kind of build on last week's message. They're all building on one another. But, you know, at verse 5 is really a, a, a kind of a, a, a verse that links the previous and the, the next verses together, as, as most of them do. But this morning, we are going to look at the call to have an eternal perspective. You know, being a people living a life, understanding the second coming of Jesus Christ is at hand. And we know that because he said it is. Uh, living a life understanding that in Christ Jesus, we have eternal life awaiting us, that when we pass from this life to the next, we are going to enter into his rest. And absolutely, he's going to be glorified in his saints, and we are going to admire him forever. And also, listen, we need to have an eternal perspective concerning the, those that don't know the Lord. And we're going to see this morning that they are subjected to eternal destruction, we're going to talk about what that means, eternal destruction biblically, because there's some people that really take that out of context to try to make it to be something it's not, to try to make light of eternity. And really, it's something that is very sobering. So in all this, as we go through the passage again, we're going to see God's the judge of these things, and his judgments are righteous. Because when we start talking about matters of eternity, a lot of people step back and start judging God. And they start saying, well, God should do what I want him to do, and I think this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Listen, we are sinners. We are but dust. He is without sin. He is holy. He is the potter. We are the clay. His judgments are righteous, and they are true, and he will not relent on them. We're going to see that saints that suffer for Christ will be rewarded. Again, it's not a matter of us being saved through our suffering. We are saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ by grace through faith in him. But then we're called to live for him. And again, if you're going to live for him, there's going to be some sufferings. And we're going to be reminded there are rewards in those sufferings. And that's said to us to comfort us, to encourage us, to, again, abound in him in our short time here. We're also going to see that those who persecute the church. And there's a great growth in persecution against the body of Christ today. The Lord, who is righteous in judgment, says they're going to be repaid with tribulation. And those that don't know him will be paid with everlasting destruction. So again, in all of this, we want to be stirred to be about his business, 
to be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, we're going to see that vengeance is the Lord's. We're not called to walk with vengeance in our own heart. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love enemies of Christ. We once were enemies of Christ as well, not long ago. And so we're, spread, we're called to spread the gospel and all this. So a little bit of where we've been, where we're going. Let's read the text. I actually want to start in verse 3 so we kind of get a full picture of this. We'll touch a little on verse 5, and then we're really going to get into verse 6 through 10 in our study here. So let's start in verse 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brother, and as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Verse 6 since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty, mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now notice there in verse five, it says that God's judgments are righteous. They are righteous, they are upright in his declaration of what is right and what is wrong. And we really need to know this. We need to get this deep in our heart because there is an assault in the day that we are living in on the person of God and on the judgments of God and upon what God deems right and wrong and so forth. I mean, we are living in a day of great rebellion. It's very much like the days of Noah, very much like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's very much like, you know, at the days of Nimrod when they gathered together there on the plain of Shinar, start to build a tower to go fight God in heaven. Very rebellious time that we're living in. And it's sad that even in the church, there's many people that are taking on the mentality of the world when it comes to God and the judgments of God. When you see best-selling books, you know what, best-selling Christian books that are downplaying the judgment of God. You know, saying, well, in the end, God will relent his judgments, and in the end, everyone is going to, you know what, be in glory and love will prevail really twisting what love is, twisting the judgments of God, twisting what God has declared what is right and what is wrong. And boy, we better not do that. Hey, we better have a fear of God in these things because God is not a liar. It's impossible for him to lie. And throughout the scripture, it declares that his judgments are righteous, they are true, and they are sure. Some verses, Psalm 33, 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So the word of the Lord is right. Why? Because it's done in truth, absolute truth. And his judgments are absolutely true and they're absolutely going to stand up as declared in the word of truth, the word of God, which he honors even above his own name. Listen to Psalm 111 verse seven. And the works of his hand are verity and justice. And his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent 
redemption to his people, and he's commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So his justice and his precepts are sure. So in other words, his judgments are sure. They're not unsure. When you take a situation before a human judge, he has to weigh his decision based on the evidence brought before him. Sometimes that evidence, you know, it's kind of shady. It's not necessarily black and white. Sometimes a judgment makes a judgment, or a judge makes a judgment based on the information, and he's not even totally sure in that judgment. I know we talk about beyond a reasonable doubt and so forth, but we're talking about humanity here. And is there any time we can absolutely say beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond maybe the person admitting it and, you know, 15 eyewitnesses and that sort of thing? Man's judgments are not always sure, but God's absolutely are at every single turn. They are completely sure. They are completely true. They are completely upright. Notice Psalm verse nine or chapter nine, verse seven through 10. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. That's an amazing thing. His throne is prepared for judgment and there's so many people running around saying, well, God's not gonna judge. Have you ever heard anyone say, uh, you can't judge me, only God's my judge. And they kind of say it, you know, in their rebellion, thinking, oh, you know what, God's not like you. God's just going to let everything roll and so forth. He's loving me, and he's going to let me bring all my sin right into glory. Boy, that's a lack of fear of God. I'd rather have man judge me than God judge me any day on my own merit. I'm in big trouble. He has prepared his throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the people again in uprightness. But then notice verse nine. The Lord is also, will also, excuse me, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So again, on one hand, there should be a great fear of God. His judgments are true. He is upright. He is righteous. In ourselves, we are not righteous. We aren't upright. And God is true and every man's a liar. We are under condemnation. But in Christ Jesus, we have a refuge. In Christ Jesus, we have salvation. In Christ Jesus, we have a future and a hope. We need to know in these judgments. Again, he never changes. He doesn't waffle in these things. The Bible declares Hebrews 6.18, it's impossible for God to lie. We're familiar with Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when it comes to, again, God's wrath, even when it comes to God's grace with some, they think God's going to relent. They think God's going to change his mind. They think God's not going to follow through with his word. And that's where a lot of people hinge their hope, even on individuals that know they're sinners. Individuals, and we all know that, but people that know it in the full biblical sense. They're sinners. Jesus died on the cross to save them. Life's only found in him. But they still think in their back of their mind, God's gonna relent so they really don't need to bend knee and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because they start thinking God is like us and he's not. They start equating God to the you know, parent that talks tough but never follows through. You know, the mom or dad with the unruly child that starts saying, you better start behaving. I'm gonna count to three. And the countdown starts going, and the kid's looking at the parent like, you're not going to do anything. One, and oh, two, you don't make me count to three, or, you know, you're going to get disciplined. 
two and a half. When you ever hear a two and a half, you're like, you know, it's a bluff. And then it finally gets to three and the kid's like, yeah, whatever, you know, and he's walking off. Well, next time, next time. And again, God is very gracious. God is very merciful. God is very, very, very long-suffering to the point where some people actually got a mindset of thinking, I've been in rebellion all my days. This is never going to catch up to me because I've gotten away with it this far. And they're, you know, interpreting the long-suffering of God wrongly. But again, the more we reject his mercy and grace, the more we store up his wrath. So his righteous judgments are righteous. They are true. And he, was not, he will not relent on them. The only escape from them is if the Lord Jesus Christ, again, is our refuge. And all of this basically comes down to God creating man, telling him you can eat of any tree in the garden, but the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. You're going to be separated from me, the giver of life. Again, we know how the account goes. The serpent comes along, villainizes God. Again, still going on today, so many villainize God. If there's a God, why is there evil in the world? If there's God, why do, you know what, bad things happen to children? And if there's a God, why is there disease? Why doesn't God stop all that? Listen, God gave man a choice. God gave man a free will. He said, follow me and you're going to have life. But if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And the serpent came along and villainized God and said, God knows if you eat of the tree, you're not going to die. He knows you're going to be like him. And man said, I want to be like God. I'll be my own God. He rebelled. He ate of that tree. Man took on a sin nature, was subjected to death. Physical death set, set in. And at that point, we were subjected to spiritual death. And to put it bluntly, God could have said, to hell with you. He had already created hell for the devil and his angels who had rebelled. He could have easily said, you're going with him. You've chosen that side. But immediately, God went out and sought man as he was hiding, trying to cover up his sin with fig leaves, and gave him the gospel. A savior is going to come, and that serpent's going to bruise his heel, but that savior is going to crush that serpent's head. And again, we've talked about this many times. The whole Testament was looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, and the crushing of the serpent's head. The Bible makes it very, very clear. Again, we are sinners. We are separated from God. We are subjected to his wrath and our sin. But if we call on the name of Christ, if we trust in him, If we repent, which is just saying, I'm no longer going to be my own God. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Now we're brought into everlasting life. And just as sure as his judgment will be upon those that reject him, salvation rests upon those who have called upon his name. Is that not good? John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. And he is true, and he is righteous, and he is just. And that judgment will hold up for all of us when we stand before him. You're under under wrath, or you are under grace. There is no middle ground. He is either your Lord, and you are saved by his shed blood under the grace of God, or he is not your Lord, and you are under his wrath. And again, over here, if you're thinking, but he's a good guy, he's loving and so forth, he is loving, he is good, so much to the point he sent his son to die for you to pay the penalty of your sin. But if you're thinking he thinks like us, and he's going to relent, you've read one too many Rob Bell books, it's time to burn that stuff, God is true. 
God is true. And his judgments are going to stand. Notice what he says. Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Remember the church in Thessalonica. It was a young church, but immediately as that church was birthed, it was subjected to persecution. There were many religious Jews there that had rejected Christ, and they got jealous of the gospel spreading. Immediately, they started persecuting Paul, Timothy, and Silas. They started coming to the church. It was so bad that this second epistle is written in part to assure them that they weren't in the great tribulation, to assure them they had not missed the rapture. Because some of the people in the church started saying, listen, this persecution is so bad, we must have missed the rapture. We must be in the great tribulation. So Paul had to write the letter to tell them, you actually haven't. You're just under great persecution. And now he's encouraging them with the truth that these that are persecuting you, these that trouble the church, again, and this hinges on them not repenting, they're going to be repaid with tribulation by the hand of God. The Lord's going to bring trouble upon them. And there's many people in the world today that aren't believers. The Lord said, why does the gate of these destruction? There's many that go through it. But then amongst that group, there's even a group in that group that even more so troubles the church and tries to persecute the church. There's 57 Islamic nations in the world, and in most of them, if you're a Christian, you're subjected to persecution. For some, it's fines. For some, it's imprisonment. And others, it's death. There's going to be a judgment upon that. Last week, I talked about the assembly bill that is trying to be passed in our state assembly right now, which is a banning of Christian books to help individuals struggling in their sexuality, telling them that, listen, you are a man or a woman. That's how God made you. You need to embrace that. Or if individuals get paid to counsel somebody when it comes to their sexuality. That if people do that, they're going to be subjected to fines or imprisonment. I mean, what happened to the land of the free, right? That's not even fair to people struggling with that that are in a place of saying, I don't want this. Well, you can't get any counsel. If they counsel you, or it's a paid counselor, and a, 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 listen, a laborer is worthy of the wage. They're saying you can't do that. That, that's, that's a target against the church. Yet people running around with a lack of fear of God, and the word of God is saying here that those that trouble you, I'm gonna trouble them with tribulation. We gotta know that, that God is a, a God of checks and balances. You don't get away with anything unless Jesus pays your debt. Otherwise, we are gonna have to pony up on judgment day. And we do not have Again, the means to atone for our own sin. And then we're even judged by our works and our actions and so forth on top of either being saved or being unsaved. Listen to Galatians 6, 7. We've looked at it many times, but it's, it's such a powerful verse. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he's gonna reap. And these guys are sowing tribulation and persecution on the church. And the Lord says, you're gonna reap that. Paul said concerning Alexander in 2 Timothy 414, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So here's Paul saying the Lord's going to repay him. Paul's saying, I'm not. Vengeance isn't mine, but may the Lord repay him. I'm just going to commit him to the Lord. You guys need to be aware of him. 
And again, in all of it, if we all got what we truly deserve by God's righteous judgment, we'd all be in trouble. Because Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And God's not bringing filth. God's not bringing rebellion. God's not bringing that into glory. Glory's not gonna be subjected to wars and abuse and sickness and disease that all came from man's sin. That originated with man in the garden saying, I'll be my own God. Man's the one that brought, it's not some big mystery. If there's a loving God, then why is this? I even see Christians, woe is me, why can't we figure this out? It's because of man's sin. Go read, go read Genesis 1 through 3. It's, it's, it's all there. That's man's doing. But again, Jesus has made the way of righteousness. And I'm going to pound the good news through all of this. Jesus has made the way to righteousness. Romans 5, 17, if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Through Christ Jesus, we have righteousness. Those that have received, those that have put faith in him, those that have trusted in him. But again, these that reject him, these that trouble the church, great tribulation. Now again, the context of these epistles, the overriding context, Paul's writing them about the day of the Lord. We talked about this. Every chapter in the first epistle talks about the day of the Lord. Chapter four goes into great detail about the rapture of the church. Chapter five starts to talk about the tribulation, the beginning of the tribulation and so forth. Second Thessalonians gets deeper about the tribulation and the coming of the Lord and so forth. And absolutely, the world here on earth is going to be subjected to great tribulation because they rejected God and did not love his truth. Now, there'll be people saved during that time, that seven-year period, but we see very clearly it's a time of God pouring his wrath out upon this earth and individuals, even while they are here on earth, being subjected to tribulation. Now, I lean strongly to a pre-trib rapture. I think the Lord is going to rapture the church before the tribulation. But if that doesn't happen, and again, the Lord's going to come when he's ready to come, we need to always be looking because he's told us to always be looking. But some people that think we're going to go through the tribulation, they get this idea that, you know, the world's just going to have it fine, but the church is going to be under great persecution. And we do know at the minimum, there's going to be people getting saved in the tribulation that will be subjected to, to some tribulation, but the world's going to be subjected to the wrath of God. And so, you know, the thinking is, you don't want to be a Christian going through that great tribulation. It doesn't matter where I go, Jesus is with me. He will not leave me nor forsake me. And so, whatever I'm subjected to, my God will be with me and he will go before me because in the context of this, and we'll read it in a little bit, we are not subjected to the wrath of God and the wrath of God will be poured out during the great tribulation. And the context here, they're subjected to tribulation. It's multi-layered, but it is in part talking about in the day of the Lord, this world will be subjected to the wrath of God. And some people say, well, the wrath of God is only part of the tribulation. It's not during all of it. That tribulation starts when Jesus Christ is breaking seals. And you better believe when that Antichrist goes forth, deceiving people, it's part of God using him as a puppet to bring forth his wrath on the world. Because the next seals start talking about death and famine and wars and so forth. And you go start reading through Revelation. 
You look at Revelation 16, 6, it says, they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink for their just due. Talking about those that, again, have persecuted the church. Lord says, they're gonna drink of a cup of blood. They're gonna drink of a tribulation. And Revelation 18, it talks about this great Babylonian economic system that we have in the world today. A lot of people, you know, will say, oh, it's the U.S. Others will say it's gonna be, you know, the literal Babylon and Iran resurrected and, you know, all all kinds of different ideas. Uh, One thing we do know is that when it collapses, the whole world economy collapse. And, And the Bible talks about, again, because it's judgment of God. In Revelation 18, 20, it says, for one hour, one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over, O heaven, and you apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. It's God saying, listen, I'm, I'm done with this. And then you go here to Revelation 19. It talks about the harlot, which is this deceitful religious system that has held so many in bondage over the ages. It says that, she too is going to be subjected to the wrath of God. Revelation 19, 2, for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. One thing we got to understand is this talks about Babel and Babylon. It talks about the great harlot. Again, there in Genesis, under Nimrod, when man was building a tower to rebel against God and remember God came down and he scattered them. They had a religious system there that went out to the four corners of the earth. That's why you go around the world and most religions have similarities outside of Christianity. You, you, you find indigenous individuals, you know, groups and tribes and so forth, and, and their religions are almost identical. It's because it all went from Babel, that harlot that went out, worshiping a mother goddess. You know, a lot of it interacting with demons and shaman and so forth. Workspace religions and, you know, at these types of mystic experiences that are not biblical and so forth. This great harlot went out to deceive the world. It all started in, again, in, in Babel, Babylon with Nimrod and so forth. But the Lord, again, is going to subject this world to a tribulation and bring it to judgment. And his judgments are sure, they're righteous and so forth. But worse than this, again, these things are multi-layered. He's talking about an eternal tribulation. To those that reject him, and the Bible makes it clear there's even a deeper type of judgment that comes upon those that would cause one of his little ones to stumble, or one of those that would come against the church itself. Psalm 11.5, it says, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Now, I know a lot of people, when a pastor's talking about hell or preaching on it, they'll try to separate, again, that individual from the truth of God's word, saying, well, that's his thing. Oh, that's one of those hell, fire, and brimstone pastors. Don't listen to him. The Bible's hell, fire, and brimstone. We just read it. God's word is true. He's going to uphold his judgments. Again, upon the wicked, he'll rain coals of fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be their portion of their cup. And again, some would say, oh, but that's not God. That's just the individual and so forth who's full of hate. Generally, when that's being preached, it's out of love. Now, I know it can be done in a, 
probably in a hateful manner, and that absolutely is wrong. But if someone's house is on fire, who's loving the people in the house? The guy that knocks on the door says, get out of it, or the guy drives by, oh, I don't want to ruin their day. I just want to love them and drive on by. Well, thank you, neighbor. And with these things, individuals will say it's not righteous. That's not a righteous judgment. Again, many even in Christendom have taken on that mindset. Well, that's not right. Again, God gave man life. Man chose death. God's made a way of escape through his son. If individuals reject him, they're under condemnation. If they receive him, they are under salvation. John 3, 16 through 18. Couldn't it be clear? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The whoever in context is whoever in the world. Whoever. No partiality. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. And a lot of people will stop right there. See, Jesus isn't condemning Jesus didn't come here to condemn anybody. We're all saved. We're all under his love because God's loving and God's good. And we're all, again, we're all okay. He didn't come to condemn the world because the world's already condemned. Listen, if someone condemns your house, you don't need someone else to come a week later to condemn it again, do you? It's already condemned. He didn't come to condemn the world. But notice, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, his judgments are true and righteous. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. Do you believe in him? Can you say amen to that? Believing is you've trusted him. It means he is your Lord. You're not your Lord. You don't have a mentality, I'll do what's right in my own eyes. If that's your mentality, most likely you are your own Lord. If he's your Lord, you're saying, you're my Lord, I want to follow you. Again, I'm saved by you, by your grace, through faith in you. But I want to obey you. You're my Lord, that means something put my trust in you and again he who believes in him is not condemned listen that's good news and if you don't know him you can call on him today but he who does not believe again hear this his judgments are true he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of god if you've not trusted him if you're your own your own lord you are under his condemnation and if you're thinking he's going to relent on this and that's your good news that's false And you're thinking, we're going to get before him, and surely God's loving. I've done a lot of good things. He's going to look at those and bring me in. He's not bringing rebellion into glory. Sin is not coming into his presence. Men running around, worshiping the God of their belly, that's not going down in glory. None of it. We're either damned to the uttermost or saved to the uttermost. We're under, under his wrath or we're under his grace. And we need to be sobered up with these things and have an eternal perspective in them. And know again, his judgments are righteous. Verse seven, he says, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So when he's revealed the day of the Lord, we are going to enter into great rest. We already got rest in him. We cease from our works, we're resting in Christ. But this is encouragement to the believer. It's encouragement to those in Thessalonica that are being persecuted for their faith. They're under a bombardment. It's an underground church situation going on there where people are dying for their faith, losing their jobs for their faith, being imprisoned for their faith. 
You need some encouragement in that, don't you? And he says, listen, have an eternal perspective. Those that are troubling you, they're going to be subjected to the judgment of God. And you that are being troubled for his namesake that believe him, you're going to enter into his rest when he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And by the way, the Lord said that can happen at any, any time. And if it doesn't happen in your lifetime, the Bible says our, day, our life here is as a vapor, it's a shadow. It comes and it goes. It's very quick. But notice 1 Thessalonians 5.2. He says, for you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And then notice here, he says, when they say peace and safety. Now chapter 4 has already talked about the rapture. We're in chapter 5 here. And there is order in the scriptures. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brother, are not in the darkness that the day should overcome you as it overtake you as a thief. And then you read down in context, verse 9, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to team salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's they and us. They that are under his wrath. Us in Christ, we are under his grace. Again, this is being given to them as an encouragement we're already at rest in christ and we have eternal rest before us if we go through some persecutions and trials here the lord will be with us and we'll see as we go through this he even speaks of us bringing great glory to god in eternity in our sufferings for him here on earth also we need to know again he's going to be revealed to us at the rapture We'll enter into great rest. And if we pass before the rapture, then we're going to have a personal revelation of him. Remember Stephen in Acts 7? He's, he's being stoned for his faith. The first service said Stephen was getting stoned, and I had to, you know, bow. Okay, let's context here, you know. He was being stoned for his faith, rocks literally thrown on him, being persecuted. And he looked up and he said, I saw heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. The personal revelation of Christ. You know, it going from persecution into the rest of God Almighty's hands forever. And the Bible declares, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. An eternal perspective. Also, again, we know at the end of the tribulation, at his second coming, the Bible says, we'll return with the Lord in his rest. And go read Revelation 19. And again, it speaks of, really, it's Babel 2.0, the nations coming together, rejecting Christ, actually believing they can defeat the God of heaven. That's how good Satan is at deceiving people. Convincing them, hey, let's all get here in the valley of Jezreel and get our little weapons together. And I imagine those are going to be some pretty advanced weapons. And we're going to take out God. They're, they're gathered there to fight God. You don't want to fight God. You're not going to win that. And instead of bending knee to him, they're subjected again to his judgment. And we come back in his rest. One other note here, he says, with the Lord Jesus, when the Lord Jesus will reveal from heaven with his mighty angels. And as I, as I was studying this week, that just kind of popped out me, his mighty angels. You know, his angels are ministering spirits. They're, they're sent to minister to us. We don't pray to them. We don't seek them out. They're, they're servants of the Lord. But Psalm 91, 11, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. It talks about those that have made the Lord his refuge. Have you made the Lord your refuge? 
It says he'll give his angels charge over you, keep you in all your ways. We got to remember that because I hear a lot more talk about demons than angels. Oh, there's a demon. Oh, that devil. Yes, there are demons and devils. Third of them, third of the angels fell. And they're up to shenanigans all the time. But sometimes, you know what? We, 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 we fear the devil more than we fear God. And if you're fearing God, you don't need to fear the devil. If you don't fear God, you need to fear the devil. And he loves it when you fear him in that manner. Because in a way, we're treating him God-like. He loves to evoke fear in people because when we're treating whatever that fear that he is putting forth us, God, if you fear God, you need not fear if you have reverence for God. But two-thirds of those angels didn't fall and they're mighty and we read in scripture about warfare and so forth. So let's remember that. Again, these are words of comfort for the Christian and they're sobering words as well to understand there are many around us that, that, that have a, a, a horrible fate. We need to proclaim the gospel to them. But it's gonna be awesome when we get to heaven because I really believe we are gonna, we are gonna see a recap of our life at least I'm hoping that we get to see all the times that those angels that God put in charge of us to camp around us intervened. It's going to be pretty awesome. I know, the, you know, where we were walking along and so forth, about to go off the cliff, and then that angel came and just hit our, our leg, you know, and sent us in the right direction. I mean, come on, you, you don't have to be very lo- here very long just to, to start going through things. You're like, how did I survive that? I remember being about 20 years old and total rebellion against God and so forth, driving my 1965 split window Volkswagen that would Volkswagen bus that would probably be worth about $40,000 today, all cherried out with about 30 speakers in it, going down the road, going too far into the other lane, not paying attention, overcorrecting and rolling that thing about 300 feet down the road. Have you ever been in a Volkswagen? They are the most unsafe vehicle on the face of the earth back then. No seatbelt, just holding on to the steering wheel where I basically had an apartment in this thing, all this stuff flying over the place and so forth, and I end up in a ditch and I hear someone yell, are you alive? (laughs) I mean, when they got to, are you, not are you okay, are you alive? Total rebellion against God. I get out and there's not a scratch on me. Not a scratch. I attended the windows and it held all the glass together. The massive speaker box in the back is up in the front, but underneath the van, not crushing me. He sends his angels. Let's remember that. They were being reminded of that in the midst of their tribulations and persecutions. Verse 9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Notice Philippians 3.8, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Again, these serve the God of their belly. That's their God themselves, not Christ. Then he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which 
he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So in Christ, we know there's going to be a resurrection at the rapture. These bodies are going to be transformed. They're going to be bodies that are not subjected to sin. They're pain-free and so forth. We need to know that those that reject him will be resurrected one day as well at the great white throne judgment. And they too will be giving an eternal body and it will be subjected to eternal destruction. It's called the second death in the scriptures. And it doesn't mean they come to a place of being destroyed and no longer existing, but instead they're in a place under God's wrath and under everlasting destruction forever and ever and ever Ever. Jesus said in Mark 9.43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than to have two hands. To go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If the worm's not dying, that resurrected individual is not going to either. The book of Jude says about these individuals. In verse 13, they're wandering stars who is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. It's very sobering. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. For these shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with them a thousand years. Are you part of that first resurrection? Can you say amen to that? Let's say amen, but let's have our hearts stirred towards those that at this point don't know the Lord and will be subjected to the second death if they were passed today. Again, for the presence of the Lord and his glory and power, but absolutely in the presence of his wrath forever and ever and ever. Revelation 14, verse 10, talking about those that reject the Lord, it says, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. So not in the presence of his kindness, but in the presence of his wrath. And again, I know this is where some people protest and they say, but I thought God was loving. How could a loving God do such a thing? I know the Bible says that, but surely he'll relent Surely he won't follow through. Surely there is a, you know, an escape clause beyond the decision here to put faith in Christ or not. Surely there's a loophole. Let's open it up and find it. And then some will say he's not loving, and they'll stand in that same foolish judgment that Adam fell into when he believed the serpent. God's keeping me from good things. Yes, God knows if I eat of the tree, I'll die. Boo, God, yay, Satan. Listen, a loving God gave us life. A loving God's given us a choice. A loving God sent his son. And a loving God will honor your eternal decision to accept him or reject him. He's gonna honor that decision. Listen, no one in hell, no one who goes to hell will be there outside of their choice for that. And I know this is where some people get all deep and what about that person in that one place that never heard about Jesus? Aha, now, we, now we'll villainize God with that. We've talked about this many times. 
Hey, how did Paul end up in Thessalonica? Go back and read Acts. How did he end up there? He wanted to go to Asia. God prevented him. The Holy Spirit said, you're not going there. And then he had a dream of a man in Macedonia. Thessalonica's in that region saying, hey, come over and help us. There were men groping for God, men that understood they were sinners. They were responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And God was faithful to send a faithful servant over there to share the gospel, and a revival broke out. This is why the biggest, I talk about all the time, the biggest revival in the world is happening in one of the places where the church is most persecuted and one of the places where it's the most illegal to be a Christian in Iran. Millions are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, God's judgments are true. And God's more concerned with those individuals than we are with their salvation. And the people that usually come up with that are not the ones going out to the mission field. <laughs> people start getting judgy against God. Well, what about this? Then what about God? If you're so concerned, what are you doing here? You need to get on a plane and go over there. If you're going to judge God in that manner, because with the same manner you judge, you will be judged, Right? So let's be careful in us judging God. Slow your roll on that. Not wise. And then in verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, notice here, because our testimony among you was believed. Isn't this incredible? When the Lord comes, he's going to be glorified in his saints. God's going to be glorified in you. God's going to be glorified in me. Romans 8, 17. Well, and if we are children and heirs, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer him, suffer with them, that we may be glorified together. Paul's bringing an encouragement as he suffers. He's saying, listen, as you suffer for the Lord, you need to know the Lord is coming soon. And when he comes, the Lord's going to be glorified in you. So have an eternal perspective. Don't grow weary. Keep pounding the pavement. Keep going before the Lord and Jesus. That persecution is the enemy trying to discourage you. He's trying to get you to go back your own ways, not to make Christ, you know, the center of your life. But know your time's short. Know the Lord's going to deal with those individuals. No vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Lay that down. Be about the business of God. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. And he's coming soon. And he's going to be glorified in you. And you are going to admire him with all those who believe forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And you will never grow tired of admiring God. I know all these books are written about heaven, trying to encourage us. Well, I don't want to go to heaven. I'm going to be on a cloud playing a harp. I mean, I've heard people say, heaven's going to get boring. I don't want to go to heaven. They're going to party in hell. We've heard it before, have we not? You know what the best thing about heaven's going to be? God's going to be there. And we're going to have a perfect relationship with him. And our perfect desire to fellowship with him will be perfectly fulfilled and we will be perfectly content forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And if your pet parent, parrot or dog isn't there, and the Bible says they go back to the earth, 
You're not going to be weeping in heaven. You're going to be before almighty God, perfectly content, and you're going to have an understanding of things that you don't have now, and it's going to be glorious. Admired forever. Psalm 30, or 68, 35, oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. God's more awesome than heaven. <laughs> Heaven's going to be awesome, but God's more awesome. And again, I know people, oh, we need some encouragement. So let me write a 500-page book on heaven. I don't know how you even get that when you're not going to get that 500 pages from the scripture. I mean, there's books and like they, they get, oh, there'll be sports in heaven and we'll be running around there, you know, playing polo and racquetball and this and that. I don't know, but listen, God's going to be there. I know in our flesh we kind of resist that because it wars against the spirit. But listen, we're going to admire him forever. Take God's word for it right here, okay? And then notice we'll close on this. Because our testimony among you was believed. You're being persecuted. You're under tribulation. Those persecuting you will be subjected to trouble from God You're going to be glorified. God's going to be glorified through you. You're going to admire God. Why? Because of our testimony, which you believed. What's your testimony? Do you have a testimony? You are where you are, not just because of happenstance. You are where you are because God has put you where you are at. And he's put you where you're at to have a testimony. What is it? Do those around you know you're a Christian? Do they know you're a Christian because you say? Do they know you're a Christian because you say and you walk in a Christian manner? When someone finds out you're a Christian, are they shocked? Well, you're a Christian? Really? Huh. Now, I know sometimes there's a reaction because the other person's a Christian and they're like, oh, I don't know you're a Christian. I thought maybe you were, but it shouldn't be. Well, you're a Christian? Man, I'm not, I'm not really seeing that. <laughs> What's your testimony? What's your testimony on social media? What will people say of you? They look at everything on there. Well, I got freedom in Christ. Well, quit stumbling people with your freedom. When they showed up to Thessalonica, listen, their testimony wasn't just, hey, we're going to have a serve day. Let's go sweep the street. They'll really like us. Oh, those Christians are swell. Jesus is okay. Now, their behavior amongst these people was always above reproach. Paul speaks of it. And they always served. But he went into the synagogue and he said, hey, gather around. There's a man named Jesus. And let me take you to the Old Testament. It's been prophesied since man sinned in the garden that he would come and crush the serpent's head. And let me take you to Isaiah. Let me take you through the prophets, the Psalms, and so forth. Let me show you all these prophecies. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, performed miracles, died on the cross and rose from the grave. There's testimony of it all around this world. 
This Christianity is spreading like wildfire. Christ is the fulfillment of these things, and if you call on his name, you'll be saved. What, just the Jews? No, Gentiles too. Party broke out in that place. The Jews hadn't properly evangelized the Gentiles. They just said, God's ours and you're firewood, firewood for hell. They misrepresented God. Paul says in Romans, the world hates God because of you guys, the way you've been behaving. It's for the Gentiles too, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And that was the testimony. The testimony first and foremost was Christ. It was their behavior as well. And Paul's saying because of our testimony that you believed, the Lord's coming back and he's going to be glorified in you and you're going to admire him forever and ever and ever. Again, an eternal perspective. Do you have a testimony? Do you have a witness? Do you hide your Christianity because of fear of persecution? They might not like me anymore. Yeah, they might get saved. They might get born again. I don't hide the gospel in this place because people may be offended by it. I've had people, you need to tone that down. People aren't going to come back. I'd rather them not come back having heard truth than sit here for 10 years and never hear the gospel. I'm going to give an account to God Almighty. Better to hear the truth once than be lied to over and over and over and over again, thinking, oh, I'm just swell and fine in myself. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Oh, Lord, we praise you. Lord, this is a, a sobering passage. Lord, I pray that we won't sweep it under the carpet as we leave this place. Lord, help us to have an eternal perspective. It is so easy just to get caught up into aimless conduct and forget life is short, to forget that we have first and foremost as followers of Christ have been called to represent you in the workplace, in our home, recreation, and all these places that you have put us to have a testimony and be salt and light. Help us in it, God. And Lord, where our testimony has fallen short, forgive us. Grant us grace and mercy in that, God. If you're here and you haven't called on the name of the Lord, listen, you've heard the bad news. And boy, it is bad. But you've heard the good news, and man, it is so good. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Have you called on his name? Have you asked Jesus truly to be your Lord? Understanding that that means you're asking him to be your God? You're calling sin, sin, and saying, Jesus, be my Lord? Listen, if you, if you haven't called on him, today is the day of salvation. Today's the acceptable time. Call on him. Humble your heart. Do business with him. 
Confess your sin. Ask him to be your Lord. That's what repentance is. It's turning from being your own Lord, asking Jesus to be your Lord. It's a change of mind about who your God is. And he'll meet you where you are. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you've dragged in. That old nonsense, oh, the walls were going to fall down. No, it's not. No, they're not. He stands ready to cleanse you and wash you and set you free. Call on him. Let's worship him as we close here.
Amen? Well, God bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a wonderful day in Him. Thank you.